This is Ask Dr. E, where Dr. Michael Easley answers your biblical or theological questions in 10 minutes or less. This week, Michael actually received two emails about suicide. And then one, this directly comes from a girl named Kaylin. She sent him a link of someone talking about spirits of suicide. And so this is her question. If we are in Christ, is there a way that demonic activity can still be, quote unquote, brought into our lives? Or is it just sin, not necessarily demonic activity? I see a lot of things with this lingo and it never sits right with me, but curious your thoughts. Also, naming all the spirits, you know, a spirit of suicide, a spirit of addiction, isn't it all either just of the devil or from God, not all these different spirits? So, Dr. E, let's talk about it. Yes. Spirit of suicide, (laughs) spirit of addiction, spirit of whatever. What do we think about this? My charismatic friends create some interesting language, and I'm not certain that the person she references is charismatic, but that would be my guess. Typically, we talk a lot about, you know, we, we blame sin and addictions and things on these spirits that harass or possess us. In fact, we'll answer a question shortly about demon possession, but let's talk first about suicide. Suicide is a sin. To take your own life, it, it's not yours to take. You're bought with a price. Christ made you. You're his. That said, I understand very well when the pain and the difficulty seems immeasurable there's no solution that, yeah, you want to take your life. Jonah wanted to die. Elijah wanted to die. So I understand that people will hurt to a point where they go, life is not worth living. The scripture doesn't give us permission to take our own life. And we'll talk more about that in another question. But as to the spirit of the woman asking the question is right. If everything is an addiction or spirit of temptation or whatever, Scripture says, lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, the boastful pride of life. I call those the three umbrellas of sin. All my sin can fall under lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, boastful pride of life. I don't need to blame it on a demon. Now, a demon can harass us. A demon can bother us. But again, we'll talk more about that in one of the questions about possession. I think there's a lot going on right now in misinformation about possession, about exorcism, about addictions. And let's just take a step back and say personal responsibility for sin is where we start. We can, quote, open ourselves up to temptations, open ourselves up to falling into sin or falling deeper into sin. And Satan and his minions certainly work to do that, but we can't blame Satan or assign it to Satan. It's our choice as a person to engage in sin, to live a certain way, And blaming it on Satan is convenient, but I don't think Scripture gives us that option. It's interesting. I was thinking about like if you would term Eve's encounter with the serpent, Mm -hmm. like would they have called that they being like the charismatic you know movement or whatever? Like it was a spirit of confusion or a spirit of you know I don't know. Obviously, Satan influenced Eve, but it was Eve's choice to not trust God and to do what she had been told not to do. Are there any other scriptures that talk about, like the thing that came to my mind was in 2 Timothy, where it says something like, for God did not give us a Mm -hmm. spirit of fear. And I wonder if, A, is there any other spirit of that's mentioned, and maybe you don't know the off the cuff, and that's okay. And then B, I wonder if that's where we get that from. Like, we've taken spirit of fear, and of course, right now, there's a very popular worship song, I'm no longer a slave to fear. And, you know, is it, I, I just wonder if that verse is what's kind of influence this idea of like, oh, that's a spirit of fear. That's a spirit of 
addiction, yeah. a spirit of suicide, a spirit of you know whatever. And that, and that could be a contemporary cause of this. I don't know the song, and historically, I mean, even in my lifetime, I've been around that language a lot. Is that the spirit of depression or the spirit of confusion? And we also have to talk about pneuma, the Holy Spirit, agios pneuma, versus this actual spirit of man. And it's very complicated. And when you read the Bible, you have to be sure. careful. Are we attributing something to the Holy Spirit of Christ? Or there is a human spirit. Uh-huh. And then, of course, we have the spiritual realm, principalities, dominions, and rulers that Paul talks about in Colossians right. that we can't see. Right but are at play. With all due respect to Frank Peretti and his books that he wrote in my college years, I don't think that's an accurate assessment of demons or demonology. I think it's fanciful, it's fiction, it's illustrative at best, but it's also misleading. And this idea of praying against the spirits or praying against these demons, I just don't find it. Or to flee, James 4, 7, or to resist the devil and he will flee from us, mm-hmm. always, always, always rest on what the Scripture clearly states, not what sounds experientially interesting or cool or the latest trend. And this is where, unfortunately, a lot of contemporary Christian music goes awry because it's experiential-oriented, or feeling-oriented, and sure, we're afraid, sure, we're depressed, sure, we're whatever. And so we pray against that spirit, pray against that. That's not what Scripture says. The closer we walk to Christ, the more aligned these things become. And these are peripheral at best and misleading and wrong at worst to focus on things. I mean, it's fanciful, it's cool, but you're safer in the Word, you're safer following Christ at His Word and trusting Him. After all, He is the victor, He's over Satan. We'll talk again in another question about the Gerasene demoniac. Only Christ could do this. Man couldn't do it. Mm. And frankly, man can't do it by himself. The only way a man can do anything mm-hmm. is if he or she is controlled by the Spirit of Christ. Mm-hmm. You taught me that in studying Ephesians 6, the armor of God, it says, Paul says over and over, I think it's three times, it might be more, stand firm, stand firm. The whole point yeah. of armoring up is to stand firm. And funny, I mean, I had a very small assignment on spiritual warfare in one of my classes recently. And I was talking to my professor about it. And I was saying, it never says, like, you can't find any scripture that says we're to warfare. It it says that there's a spiritual battle happening. But Paul doesn't say that's between us. It's between the spirits. And then looking at it, and I was like, oh, it says to stand firm. And he goes... I've never seen that before. And I thought, wow, that's amazing. Yeah. But again, I mean, I just think it goes back to the churches that we grow up in, our Christian background, whatever stories that have been told to us, you know, we've created a culture. It's not all wrong. It's not bad. I shouldn't say it's not wrong. It's not bad. But we have to come back to what does the text say? And you'll find that the text doesn't say anything about it. We have a mutual friend. I won't name him, but he grew up in a, a very holiness Pentecostal background He said it was kind of predictable when your teen or rebellious years, they would take you out in the country to this woman's house. And she was known as this kind of spiritual authority and whatever. And you would sit in this chair in this room and she would pray over you and talk to you. And he said you had to kind of string it out 
And at the right time, you had to confess your sins and cry and repent. And he goes, it didn't hurt if you spoke in tongues. After you know several hours of this, you were then released from whatever it was that was causing you to be you know, a teenage brat, and uh, your mother would come get you. And he told the story with great embellishment, and we're all dying laughing, but that was the culture in which he grew up, back to your point. You're never going to go wrong leaning on the Scripture, and you're exactly right. There's nowhere does it tell a believer to take up arms against Satan. Even Michael the archangel was prevented from speaking a railing judgment, which is a fascinating text, to Satan. The hierarchy was Lucifer was number one, and we don't overwork this, but probably Gabriel and Michael are somewhere there in two and three. Michael, the name Michael, is a question, who is like God? Answer, no one, not even Michael the archangel. So he was a magnificent, is a magnificent angelic being, and God prevented him from dealing with Satan. There's only one who deals with Satan, and that's Christ. So I, I think we... Again, it's fanciful, it's intriguing, and again, we'll have some show notes. C. Fred Dickinson has a great book on angels, elect and evil. We're off on a rabbit trail. He goes through all the angels in the Bible, explains some of what we do know, some of what is probably a fair conclusion, but we can't be dogmatic about it, about legions and minions and so forth. But Satan is alive, he's working, and he is working at deceiving Christians. And uh, if you ever want to read a weird book... The one C.S. Lewis wrote, The Screwtape Letters. Did you ever read that? Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, I was probably in like yeah, middle school yeah. when I read it. It's kind of horrifying <laughs> if you're young when you read it. But yeah. uh, it, it's a fictional account of an, a nephew demon being tutored by his uncle on how to tempt the Christian. And some of it is very insightful because once he becomes a Christian, well, that's it. Now what do you do? You harass him all his life. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a fun yeah. book in a way, but I think he also overstates it. So anyway. Yeah, of course. I mean, it's fiction. But I do remember going, oh, it's interesting. Once someone is saved, then, you know, Satan's greatest tactic is essentially to make them in a, an ineffective believer. Mm-hmm. And something the other day that I was reading that was written in like the 70s, but it was talking about how entertainment in Hollywood yeah. is like, I think these were like euthanizing basically making us like totally numb and dumb and the entertainment factor of it. It wasn't just like it's ruining our ability to be light and darkness essentially. Well, what was it recently? Was it uh, Grammys or? Oh, well the Grammys every year. Well, this one was like full out satanic. satanic. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was the Grammys this year, but they also did something like that a couple years. I mean, yeah, there's been like Satan worship stuff a, a few times at the Grammys and you're like, what a world. Anyway, <laughs> what a world we're living in. And we were chosen to be in it right now. Amen. So. <laughs> Amen. Well, if you've got a question for Dr. E, call us or text us. The info's in the show notes. Ask Dr. E is produced by me, Hannah Seymour, mixed and mastered by Sonomorphic, and music composed by Jason Germain. 